Our scripture reading tonight is from the very beginning of the Gospel of John. And I'm going to be reading just a little bit more than what is printed in your bulletin. I'll be filling in uh, some of that ellipsis that you see there. So let's hear the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we ask that you would uh, bless now our searching of your word, and may we see your son Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, who is full of grace and truth. And we ask this for his sake and in his name. Amen. Well, this evening we're going to contemplate uh, what was behind the scene of that familiar baby in the manger uh, that is so prominent this time of year in the darkness of Christmas morning. So as we think now about the word becoming flesh, what we had just read in John's gospel, I want us to leave this evening with a greater sense of the majesty of the incarnation. We may not have even recognized any majesty in the incarnation. The mystery of the incarnation, the greatest mystery of all time, and something that causes us to marvel because it's so glorious and so beautiful. And children, if you hear me say this word incarnation a whole lot, just think baby Jesus. Don't say it, just think it. Okay. One of the things that uh, I have to admit that Debbie and I spend time doing at home, uh, we've really grown to love when we just want to relax, veg out, is streaming old British television shows and films. There's actually a couple of channels uh, you can subscribe to. And uh, we love these things because some of the screenwriting is literally genius in my opinion, and they're great comedies. Uh, some of them go back 40 years, but some of them are, are, are new as well. And a byproduct of watching these things is that I've become a lot more familiar than I really wanted to with British culture, government, politics, and the whole business of the royal family. And one of those little details that I noticed recently is 
that when addressing members of the royal family, the proper address is your royal highness. Except for one person, and that's the queen. Or if it's a king reigning on the throne, the king. And when a person be bows be before Queen Elizabeth today, they are to say, your majesty. And it turns out this is because your majesty is the highest form of address you could possibly use. It's greater than your highness. I never thought about this before, but there really is a huge difference. To say your majesty is to say you are the one with absolute power. You're the one with the supreme authority. You're the last word. And in a kingdom, only the king or the queen has that absolute power and authority. Now, when we look at that manger scene that we see so often this time of year, those aren't the words that come to mind, are they? Most people look at a manger scene and they respond the same way they do when they see other babies. He's so sweet, he's so innocent, he's so helpless, he's so harmless. And this time of year we hear over and over again, the babe in the manger. And we picture this beautiful little child lying in some hay outside an inn that had no room for him, surrounded by his family and his admirers who came to see him. But this totally pales in comparison with the real story behind that night in Bethlehem. We just heard the beginning of John's gospel, and he really, those words at the beginning of John's gospel are mind-blowing, and we'll look at those a little bit tonight, as well as some other passages, past the other passages you heard read tonight. And even though John doesn't mention the manger at all, or the birth of Christ, what he does is he goes all the way back to the beginning of creation, the beginning of everything. And he says, in the beginning was the word. And he goes on to say, the word was with God. And then he goes beyond that. He says, not only was the word with God, the word was God. And then he says that everything that ever existed was created through this word, through God himself, because the word was God. And then John makes this astonishing statement that does relate to the baby in the manger. He says in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word, says John, became a person and lived on this earth. Now, this sounds like some, uh, as Johnny Carson used to say, weird, wild, and wacky stuff. Uh, it is to a lot of people. And a lot of people are going to say, yeah, right. But John doesn't stop there. John, it's almost as though he anticipates that kind of a reaction because he offers us evidence that this really did happen. He says that God became a person who he himself laid eyes on. He says, we, and he's talking about him and a couple of his friends. He says, we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And he gives us some very solid evidence. He and these other two were eyewitnesses of the glory of God in this person. And then in verse 17, John lets us in on the significance of that last part. 
where he says he is full of grace and truth, this word. He says, the fullness of grace is found in none other than Jesus Christ himself. That's who this word is at the beginning of John. He's come right out and said, the word who was God, who created every single atom, all the stars and the planets, the whole universe, everything that exists and things we don't even know about that exist. This word who was God is the one who became Jesus. And he lived among John and his friends. And we know from Matthew and Luke how he started out once he was born. That's what we're so familiar with. He was lying in the hay, wrapped up in cloths to keep him warm. Because he was just as tender and vulnerable as any other tiny baby. So here's Almighty God. The Son, the Word, through whom everything was created. And he's the one who became Jesus, who became life in Mary's womb. And he was born and lay in that manger on Christmas. Well, I mentioned majesty a minute ago. Where's the majesty in that manger? Well, remember how John says that he and others had seen his, the word's glory. And he said later that that was Jesus he was talking about. So he saw Jesus' glory as of the only son from the father. What do you mean by that? We've seen his glory. John doesn't tell us, but the other three gospels relate an account that is another incredible, miraculous thing. About 30 years after uh, this night uh, in Bethlehem, Jesus took John and his brother James and the apostle Peter to the top of a mountain. And he was transfigured right before their very eyes. Transfigured means he changed. His appearance completely changed. He looked very different. They could still tell it was Jesus, but those other gospels tell us that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothing became white as light. What they were seeing was Jesus' glory. They saw that he was God, not just a man. And then this happens. And we're going to see this a couple of times this evening. A cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, Rise and have no fear. Notice when it was that they fell on their faces. It wasn't when they saw this dazzling Jesus with the glory of God shining through. It was when they heard the voice of God from that cloud that overshadowed them. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. God just told them that this Jesus who they'd been living life with for a while is none other than his son. The son of God, meaning he's God himself. Couple that, those words, with what they had just seen. And that's very believable. And God, in that overshadowing cloud, is telling them, listen to Jesus. And that's when they fall on their faces. When he says, listen to him. They suddenly realize they're in the presence of the son of God, 
And he is your majesty. He is supreme. He is the ultimate authority. And they can do nothing except fall down on their face and worship. So there was majesty in that manger. This same Jesus was in that manger, full of the glory of the Lord, which just wasn't shining through that little infant's flesh. He was Emmanuel, God with us, says Isaiah. Well, that's just a little too much, isn't it, for our little pea brains, as my wife likes to say. How do we begin to understand this baby Jesus isn't just a human being, but is God with us? We can't. And what do we call what we can't understand? We call it a mystery. This is a mystery. And that brings us to our second point about the incarnation, the baby Jesus. Just to give you an idea of the size of this mystery, consider this. As Jesus lay in that manger, having been conceived in Mary, begun to exist as a human being at a specific millisecond in time, just like we did. This Jesus lying there was still the Son of God. He had responsibilities as the Son of God. He is one member of the Trinity. And he has to uphold the entire universe with the word of his power, Scripture tells us. We can't understand it. How do we solve that mystery? There's nothing to compare it to. Well, God doesn't expect us to understand it. And he's so gracious and he loves us so much that what he has done for us is not to help us understand it, but to help us appreciate this mystery. Remember when the disciples saw Jesus on that mountain in all his glory the Spirit of, of God speaks from this cloud that overshadows them. That wasn't the first time the Lord was in a cloud overshadowing something. We heard about it in uh, the, our Old Testament lesson just a bit ago. The Lord told Moses in the desert to come up on this mountain where he had met the Lord before. And you remember what happened. The Lord descended in a cloud. And he stood with Moses in this cloud to tell him how merciful he, the Lord, is. And how gracious and how patient with sinners. And how he's full of everlasting love. And how he's always faithful. You can always count on him. And then he forgives all kinds of sin. And how did Moses respond? He fell down on his face and worshiped, just like those disciples. Apparently, that's what we would do when we're faced with the glory of the Lord, even overshadowed by a cloud. And that's when the Lord, or when Moses asked the Lord to forgive all the sins of his people in the presence of this holy God. He thinks of one thing, and that is, how can we live in the presence of this God? He has to forgive our sins. He has to do something. There's nothing we can do about it. 
What we needed, what Moses realized they needed, was a miracle, or a marvel, you might call it. And the Lord said to Moses, in response to this prayer, listen to what he says. Before all the people, I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And that's when he proceeded to overshadow the tabernacle with a cloud and fill it with his glory. There was actually a tent of meeting that he had Moses build. And within that was the tabernacle. We think of it as one big tent. But the glory of the Lord filled that tabernacle. He was present in that tabernacle. He was dwelling in the midst of his people because that tabernacle was right in the middle of the people of Israel. No other gods did that. It was a marvel. And then the Lord says to Moses, he's making a covenant, a sworn promise. He's going to do some things that people have never done before. That's where that marvel comes in. Some awesome things. No doubt some things to demonstrate that he is who he just said he is. A God of all grace. A God of all mercy. A God of love. A God of forgiveness. All those things that we could sum up, or actually that John summed up for us when he spoke of Jesus as the word of God. He said he was full of grace and truth. And in fact, we call this covenant the covenant of grace. And how does it work itself out? The Lord tells Moses to build this tent of meeting. And within the tent was this tabernacle. And that means dwelling. So this was God's dwelling place. This, that word literally means dwelling. So Moses obeys the Lord. And then what happens? That cloud that was with Moses on that mountain descends and overshadows the tent and the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle, as I mentioned. It was going to be the dwelling place of God in the midst of his people. So now let's return to John's words right at the beginning of his gospel. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Another translation of that verse is, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's what the Old Testament tabernacle was all about. God's presence with his people. And now Jesus had become the tabernacle of God. The dwelling place with his people. And that brings us to Mary. The angel Gabriel comes to her saying, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And he will reign forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary's dumbfounded, of course. She asks Gabriel, how, how is this going to happen? How can I be having a baby? I'm not even married. And Gabriel answers her question this way. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, just like those clowns. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You hear that? The Holy Spirit, the power of God, is going to overshadow Mary, 
just as the Spirit of God had overshadowed those disciples, just as he had overshadowed the tent of meeting at when his glory filled the tabernacle, he was going to be right there with Mary. So there's this overshadowing presence of the Holy Spirit over Mary. What was the Lord doing? He's making his own tabernacle. He's overshadowing Mary. And he's creating his own new dwelling place among his people. He just overshadowed the tent of meeting. That's Mary. And now, within that tent of meeting, he creates a tabernacle. Jesus. In whom he, God, will dwell in the flesh. So what the Lord is telling us here is an amazing, beautiful picture, isn't it? The whole idea is to help us appreciate the mystery of all of this. We don't know the details. What we do know is that we often talk about the virgin birth. But what we have just realized is that this was a virgin conception, even before the virgin birth. So what else is there to do but marvel? Remember the marvels that the Lord had promised to Moses. This is one of them. So what can we do? Here's the Son of God entering a girl who wasn't even married to become a real baby and then be born to Mary and Joseph. The Word who was God had become flesh. And the Son of God came to dwell with us as a helpless infant named Jesus. He came into the world just like we did. And we're going to see that was the whole point, that he would be just like us, that he would be born he would, the same way that we were, and that he would grow up to be a man, and the scriptures tell us a very ordinary-looking guy. Nothing special. No one would have gone out of their way to look at him. Only those three disciples on that mountain had seen his glory. Otherwise, his glory is contained in that little tiny body. And as he tabernacled among us, as he grew into a man, he said, I am. He was give, giving himself the name of the Lord God Almighty. He was identifying with him. He was telling people, I'm God. And that's what was so offensive. He did all of these miracles. That should have been a clue to people. But as we heard John say, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Why didn't people recognize him? Why didn't his own people receive him? Because he was a different kind of marvel than they had been expecting. He was the kind of marvel that the Lord had told Moses about. But by the time Jesus was born, his people were expecting the Lord to send them a king to avenge them and destroy all their enemies. You know, an avenger. A different kind of marvel. The comic book kind. The film kind. Get it? But underneath 
all of that, we know what was really going on. And the scriptures tell us what was really going on. Their problem was they were dead. They were spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. And here's another mystery to marvel at. We're no different than any of them. Why are we any different? In Ephesians, Paul says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we walked in those trespasses and sins. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the only reason we can marvel at this Son of God dwelling in our midst in this little tiny body and then later uh, a man that would be glorified. And we heard John's promise. Remember how John said, all that did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. J.I. Packer wrote a book, many of you are familiar with, Knowing God. And he points out that, in his opinion, the largest, the biggest hurdle, the biggest stumbling block about the gospel for the average person is not the things that we would think. It's not Good uh, Friday, the, the Day of the Atonement, Uh, the day Jesus is uh, hanged on the cross. It's not the resurrection, uh, Jesus rising from the dead, because people don't have a problem with the idea of sacrifice for doing wrong. And they don't even have that big a problem with resurrection from the dead, becoming alive again. So what is it, says Packer? The real difficulty that people have with the Christian faith is Christmas. The message of the incarnation, the baby Jesus of God, that the Son of God took on human flesh without losing one tiny bit of his deity, of being God. So Jesus was truly fully man and fully God. And Matthew reminds us in his gospel that this was God's plan all along. He says, about the coming of Jesus, that this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God dwelling in our midst. That's Emmanuel. God with us. So when we see that baby in the manger, let's Remember that this is the supreme expression of the love of God and the power of God and the presence of God. God's with us, Emmanuel, and his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And as we close, just one more glimpse I want us to get of this incredible gospel that we see beginning to become so clear on that Christmas 
morning, very early, Paul describes what was going on and what this, this whole incarnation thing, this whole Jesus, uh, the Son of God becoming Jesus in this way in Philippians 2. He says, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not, not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That was the whole reason he was born to begin with. And he knew it. He humbled himself to do it because of his love for us. And Paul goes on, therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 